Just to give you a sense tonight, I'll be speaking some, a little bit about uh, spirit of the season. And then we have a little bit different than our normal way of doing it. We'll have a a chance to do a a little, what I call an interpersonal meditation, and there'll be some, some music and song and a candle ceremony. So that's the the broad overview. First wanted to acknowledge that for many people um, this festive goodwill holiday season is very charged and in a very mixed way. One friend of mine sent an email that said after they got together with all the uh, from the great-grandmothers to the great-grandchildren and it was just this mixed blessing of this very intentional time of love and peace and sharing and so on and yet so hectic that in a very de- immediate way he wasn't able to really rest in it, take it in, feel that, that hard connection as much as he had wished and so many people I know uh, for different reasons, have that same sense of this mix during this season. For some, there have been losses of people, um, loved ones that aren't with us. And for others, um, perhaps we don't have the family or the, the relational network and it has a lonely quality. And for many, many people, these days are shorter and it's speedy and fast-paced and demand... I mean, how many feel stre- are stressed right now? Can I just... just out of interest, just to see. So it, it can be hectic. I saw recently this cartoon has a picture of God and he's, he's got a suggestion box and everybody's been sending him suggestions. And he's reading from it and it goes like this. Not enough hours in the day. Just weren't enough hours in the day. Hmm. Not enough hours in the day. Hmm. Nope, don't have enough... Shh. I know what I'll do differently next time. <laughs> so God created a world with not enough hours in the day. And here we are at a time that supposedly is when we're most attuning ourselves. And it doesn't matter whether it's the Muslim celebrations or Jewish or Christian. They all have something to do with arriving and goodwill and connecting And it highlights two forces that are very much in our culture and in our bodies. And one is that moves us towards connection and love. And one that feels separate and feel out of that separation actually feels, you know, fear and anger and feelings of hostility. And I've been reading increasingly over the years, I'm very interested in the science that that really shows a bit of how our transformation occurs. And it's very much a part of our evolutionary survival equipment to be designed to experience both the empathy, love side and the aggression, fear, anger side. It's in our bodies. It was reproductively advantageous for ancestors to be cooperative within their own group and yet aggressive towards other groups. And for thousands and thousands of years there was, you know, a kind of a shortage of resources that made it so that was the way to be. And our brains still um, possess these ancient capacities and tendencies towards narrow cooperative affiliations. Me and my close circle, they're the ones that matter. And those out there, even when we say we care, the caring does not have a kind of moist, alive feeling. It's not as real. Others become, at increasingly 
distances unreal others. Okay, so affiliated, close in, and not so much with others. And then the more economic pressures, the more religious fervor, the more stress, and that whips up the fears of not like us. And that's justification, that sense of to control for those that are in power to um, make decisions, to keep war making, or destroying our own environment. If there's enough fear of we don't have enough, I'm not going to keep on having the wealth I want. Um, there's less of a real commitment to take care of what seems like other, which is the earth, which of course is what we're made of. So narrow fear-based affiliations have become not only obsolete in certain ways, but dangerous for the survival of the earth. And I want to say that we need the emotions of anger and fear. They're, they're in us and we need them to navigate. They have an intelligence. This isn't like, that's bad and it's good to always feel love. We need to have them. It's just, how do we listen to them and how do we respond? How do we make meaning of them? What's dangerous is this identification of us and them. And that's what I'd say every spiritual path and every mystical tradition in some way is saying, if we're going to wake up and if we're going to save this earth, it's going to be that we wake up out of this sense of us good and okay and we should work for us and them out there not okay, bad. And just to say that not only is it on a societal level, because I'm talking about war-making, that we make bad other, but the more stressed we are, and you can check this out in your own life, the more we move through our day deep down feeling like I'm in here and everybody else is out there and we really don't feel a sense that we're part of it. Belonging goes down the tubes when we're feeling really stressed and reactive. Isn't that so? I mean, do you notice that? I find that the more there's a real feeling of fear or anger or hurt, the more there's a sense of a very contracted self in here and the more suspicion and wariness of out there. Now, it goes even further, this dividedness, this sense of affiliation. So one level is my tribe and the other tribes aren't okay. And then it gets tighter and me and everybody else out there is kind of dangerous or threatening. But then it goes even deeper. It's me and the parts of myself that are the enemy. We get divided against our inner life. And what I've noticed is that it's always all three. When we have an enemy out there, we're divided against a part of ourselves. It's all three. So the inquiry is really, how do we wake up? And one of the interesting things to explore, and this is on the biological level, is that when we're in fight-flight, when there's an enemy out there, the prominent chemical coursing through us, in addition to adrenaline, which is for short-term fight-flight, is cortisol. We get locked into major cortisol production. And it makes us hypervigilant and feeling endangered. And nowadays, because there's not as much physical danger, it's much more emotional, how we feel emotionally threatened. And then we have thoughts that then exacerbate the cycle and keep us locked into me, world out there, something's wrong. That's the biology. Cortisol keeps it cooking. It's the primary one. There's other chemicals. It's much more complex. I'm simplifying. 
but there's also a chemical that directly counters what cortisol does, oxytocin, and again it's a combine of chemicals, but oxytocin is produced when we give and receive love. When we give love, when we receive love, and also when we meditate, because when we meditate we quiet the thoughts that keep us feeling separate and come more into a unitive experience. The, the biology of it is there's oxytocin that's there, and that counters cortisol. Now the reason I'm bringing this up, because when there's oxytocin we go into tend and befriend. Instead of fight-flight, it's tend and befriend. And the inquiry really is how in our lives, if our bodies and our culture are pretty locked into fight-flight and cortisol and that whole biology and the whole thought cycle, how do we shift ourselves? And one of the interesting things about oxytocin, it's a kind of unique neurochemical in that the more oxytocin we make, the stronger our body and mind respond to it. In other words, our nerve cells actually sprout more oxytocin receptors and that makes it easier to be sensitive to its effects. So it's a cycle, it's a spiral towards more loving. The more that you have thoughts and feelings of love, the more that inclines you towards loving. It's a positive cycle. Of course, the same thing goes with cortisol and thoughts of aggression and judgment and blame. The more you send that off in your system, the more it reinforces those neuropathways. Interestingly, in the moments we're not caught in fight or flight, we are very naturally responsive in a loving way. Anyone that's not caught in fear, if they see someone else hurting, is going to go, aw, and care. Or if they see someone behaving in a very generous way, is going to go, oh, wow. I mean, that's just, it's our hearts naturally respond in an empathic way. I read somewhere, boy, at scouts camp and there's an inspection at a camp out and the director finds an umbrella tucked into inside of a bedroll, this young scout, it's his first year. And he says, you know, an umbrella is not listed as a necessary item. And he asks the young boy to explain himself and the young boy's response, sir, did you ever have a mother? (laughs) (laughs) When we're not in fight or flight, our hearts naturally open. The more love, the more oxytocin, the more love. It's this positive cycle and violence begats violence. So there's a a classical um, Native American story that some of you might have heard where an elder, an older woman's asked by her grandson how she became so wise and so loving. And um, she says, well, in my heart there's two wolves and ones of love and ones of hate. And they struggle against each other. And then the boy says, well, which one will win? And her response is, it all depends on which one I feed each day. So the teaching, and this is really uh, kind of the heart of the spiritual traditions, is you can choose how to wake yourself up. You can choose how to pay attention. Now again, this doesn't mean that you're choosing to get rid of anger or fear. 
we have a biology that is designed to alert us to when there's injustice and when there's harm and so on. But you can choose how to pay attention to that. And you can choose what thoughts to believe. And you can choose how to pay attention to the goodness that's possible and deep in each person. So the Buddha basically taught that we begin what really inspires us to choose to wake up loving is when we register the suffering we're in. When we see how we've been controlled by the wolf of aggression. Where we see that we've been controlled by our stories of separation. So the first inquiry really is to begin to look at how often our filter for this world is something's wrong with me, something's wrong with you how often we are living in a story and this is every single day of what, what do I need to do today to be okay to not make a mistake to prove that I'm good in some way to su- and then in a moment and this isn't so conscious how to get more comfortable we're always trying to get more emotionally comfortable or physically comfortable and if we're honest and we look closely much of what we do in the day, the way we rationalize things, the way we try to feel more secure, the way we go after pleasure or defend, try to defend ourselves or try to win or prove, actually reinforces that sense of separate self, me and here, world out there. Much of what we do, much of our self-advancement, we find doesn't really work. A car accident occurred in a small town and a crowd surrounded the victim so that a newspaper reporter, young and ambitious, couldn't manage to get close enough to see him and get the story. Eager to show himself and show his colors, he hit upon an idea. I'm the father of the victim, he cried. Please, let me through. The crowd let him pass so he was able to get right up to the scene of the accident and discovered to his embarrassment that the victim was a donkey. The best laid plans. (laughs) So what I want to focus on for the remainder of the time, and I didn't want to, this is going to be on the short end, is that the main way we keep ourselves from feeling connected, the main way we keep the cortisol flowing, the main way we keep fight-flight is through judgment. That we spend many, many moments of our day living inside a story of judgment. And I wanted to share a, a story, a friend that, because I've been in conversation with a friend who's been very upset about the lifestyle decisions of her daughter and her son-in-law. Uh, they have, she has two grandchildren and anybody that's a grandparent probably knows that you get very, very kind of like watching real closely to see how your daughter or son is then bringing up your grandchildren. And in this case, she felt like they were making very, very uh, unwise decisions that were unhealthy for the grandchildren. And she found that she couldn't talk to her daughter without in some way transmitting and and spewing out into the environment her incredible disapproval and, and anger and upset and so on. And she got into this very familiar place, which is that to talk to her daughter and be real to be real, she needed to say what was going on for her, which is how upset she was. 
And yet, of course, when she did that, it was alienated and her daughter was at the point of not wanting to talk on the phone to her or really be connected at all. And so her daughter basically was making, in her mind, making mistakes, but she realized that she was um, destroying the relationship, basically. So that, that was the situation, and, and I'm going to come back to that situation, but for so many of us, the kind of mechanics of judgment is, and we'll just look at it in our close circle, that something somebody else is doing seems wrong to us, we want them to be different, our attention fixates, and we stop taking in who that person really is. We are unable to take in the wholeness, the mystery, the love, the wisdom, the humor, that in us which perceives has narrowed, narrowed, narrowed. That's judgment. It fixates. So that's what had happened to her, and that's where it was painful. I know that Florida Scott Maxwell writes, no matter how old a mother is, she watches her middle-aged children for signs of improvement. So sometimes it's benign, but often we're with somebody and we want them different and we can't enjoy them and we can't really be intimate because in any moment that you want someone else different or you want yourself different there's no real intimacy there's a threat there so how to move from that judgment which is a form of aggression to love is the inquiry And I want to just name a couple of steps that feel really important. And then, as we usually do, we'll conclude this with a reflection where I'll invite you to take one situation where you know you're getting caught in judging. And for most of us, the challenge is which one, of course. But (laughs) I'll invite you to choose one. Because in my mind, there is nothing more profound that we can offer to this season than in some place having a little more intention to wake up out of uh, the storyline and the judgment and allow our hearts, that, that, that perception and, and, and space of our heart to be more open to someone. It's the deepest thing we can do to ripple out and bring peace to this earth. So we'll come to that. The first step, the first step when we're caught in judgment and um, for this woman was to honor that we have both wolves in us. To not go, oh, anger, bad. Oh, judgment, I'm bad. Because we do that. We have these spiritual notions about ourselves and we make ourselves bad. So for her, the first step was to bring an attention to what was underneath her judgment and the kind of aggressiveness and the anger she was feeling. And as I do often, when when I have anger come up, one of the first things that has to happen before I can actually unfold what's really going on is to forgive it. I actually go, forgiven, forgiven. And it's not like, oh, anger, bad, sinful, I forgive you. It's like, oh, anger, okay, it's here, it's okay. It's just, this is just one of, this is the weather that's here. So for her, it was to say, forgiven, forgiven, but sense, okay, so what's underneath this, this judgment? to check it out. And what she found underneath her judgment of her daughter and her son-in-law, which is what you might imagine, was um, a lot of fear. Just a lot of fear that they and their children would encounter pain and suffering. And then, of course, under the fear, care. She cared. 
you see how it unlayers? If you don't, don't make it bad, oh, judgment, bad. Okay, what's there? Oh, fear. Oh, caring. Okay. There is a saying that some of you have heard um, me quote, that vengeance, which includes judgment and blame, vengeance is a lazy form of grief. And it's the same thing with fear. Fear is a lazy form of grief. That there's, that if we get blame, if we get into blaming and we get into trying to um, show somebody's wrong, in some way we're not getting in touch with what's really there inside us, which is usually hurt and fear. So until we don't believe our stories, open to the energy of the anger and then say, what's really under it? until we befriend it in that way, we're not able to authentically open our hearts. That's step one. Step one, to stop the cycle of reactivity is to forgive what's happening inside us and open to what's underneath it. Then the next question is, if we can look at the other person and ask, what does this person need? If we're judging someone, and then we can look at very thing we're judging, the behaviors, and say, what, what does that person need? What's, what's the want and need that's going on behind that person's behavior? So first we've checked in our own, then we look for, at the other. And for this woman, when she looked at her daughter, her daughter, she could sense that her daughter was feeling a sense of her own unworthiness as a mother, her own imperfections, her own self-doubts. And what she needed more than anything was someone to trust her and, and let her know that she was accepted and basically good. That she needed acceptance, not judgment. That she was okay. There's a, a wonderful poem by uh, Naomi Nye. It goes like this. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. So the second step when there's judgment is, a, is what we sometimes call role reversal. Like what really would it be like to be that person? What does that person need? What is that person feeling? And sometimes the question people ask me is, but you know, what if, that, what if my child or a political adversary or some part of myself is causing violence and needs to be set straight? You know, maybe they want acceptance, but what if they need to be set straight in some way? And just to say, we need our wise discrimination to know when to set boundaries, when to give feedback. We need to be committed to not letting ourselves be violated or others be violated. There's no question of that. The question is this, that in our way of responding to situations, are we creating a bad other? In other words, we have to behave in ways that take care of ourselves and others, but we don't have to create that us-them that keeps the cycles of violence going. So the next question is, what allows us to see past us and them is a commitment, and this is the last piece, is to looking for the goodness. That if we can see the goodness in the other, 
really just the fundamental humanness, the awareness, that and that other which wants to be happy, wants to love and be loved, then we can set our boundaries but not consider that other as an unreal other, someone to push away. A story that touched me in this way, a woman describes it this way, she says, a few years ago I was with a close friend in a grocery store in California, and as we snaked along the aisles we became aware of a mother with a small boy moving in the opposite direction and meeting us head on in each aisle. The woman barely noticed us because she was so furious at her little boy who seemed intent on pulling items off the lower shelves. As the mother became more and more frustrated, she started to yell at the child and several aisles later had progressed to shaking him by the arm. At this point, my friend spoke up. A wonderful mother of three and founder of a regressive school, she had probably never once in her life treated any child so harshly. I expected my friend would give this woman a solid mother-to-mother talk about controlling herself and about the effect this behavior has on a child. Braced for a confrontation, I felt a spike in my already elevated adrenaline. Instead, my friend said, What a beautiful little boy. How old is he? The woman answered cautiously, He's three. My friend went on to comment about how curious he seemed and how her own three children were just like him in the grocery store, pulling things off shelves, so interested in all the wonderful colors and packages. He seemed so bright and intelligent, my friend said. The woman had the boy in her arms by now and a shy smile came up on her face. Gently brushing his hair out of his eyes, she said, Yes, he's very smart and curious, but sometimes he wears me out. My friend responded sympathetically, Oh yes, they can do that, they're so full of energy. As we walked away, I heard the mother speaking more kindly to the boy about getting home and cooking his dinner. We'll have your favorite, macaroni and cheese, she told him. Judgment and reprimand do not bring out our basic goodness. They don't when we lay it on ourselves and they don't when we bring it to others. Yes, we need to set boundaries, but if we are unable to in some way be a mirror for others' goodness, then all we do is lock them into the unreal other, lock us into separation, and continue the cycles of violence. It says, one Hasidic rabbi asked his pupils how they could tell when night had ended and the day had begun. For that is the time for certain holy prayers. Is it, proposed one student, when you can see an animal in the distance and tell whether it's a sheep or a dog? No, answered the rabbi. Is it when you can clearly see the lines on your own palm? Is it when you can see in the distance and tell if it's a fig or a pear tree? No, answered the rabbi each time. Then what is it, the pupils demanded. And then he responded, he paused for a while and he says, it's when you can look on the face of any man or woman and see that they are your brother or sister. Until then, it is still night." So back to my friend, um, just to give you the final bit of that story that, as I mentioned, her daughter wouldn't talk to her on the phone because really all she got was reprimands. So she made a commitment that uh, she was going to, in her own meditation, just reflect on her daughter's goodness. 
just reflect on what she loved about her and what she reflected on of course was her she had a very brave kind of honesty and a humor and a generosity and so her mind would go to where she was making mistakes and she'd bow to that and just say yeah that's okay and then she'd come back to that reflection and then they started talking a bit more and all that would happen is she would listen or just ask questions but she just it, she basically said, unless she was asked, she wasn't going to give an opinion. And if any of you are a parent, you know that that's like the ultimate discipline. And, she, and that's what happened. And gradually her daughter started sharing more and more in, into that space. And the connection um, became more of that tend and befriend versus fight-flight relationship. So I'd like to invite, um, as I mentioned, your own reflection now because it's a, if it was easy to do, we would have peace on earth, really. If this was easy to do, if it was easy to take a place where we were kind of locked into judgment and soften our hearts, the world would be very, very different. We have very strong conditioning. So it takes a respect of that conditioning. So as you, as you come into however you'd like to sit for this meditation, just sense as you pause that you're really bringing respect to the whole mix of conditioning that's inside you. Not, in, not laying an expectation that your heart's all of a sudden going to be liberated from all judgment. Let yourself be at home in this moment. Just take a little time to feel the breath. Notice if you've tightened up in certain parts of your body habitually or just that you can just kind of maybe soften let the shoulders down a bit let the hands be soft and feel your breath and just feel your own intention right now however it expresses itself, but with sincerity to explore what it means right in this moment to wake up your heart some, to step out of the story of blame, to sense the potential to be more free. And letting come to mind perhaps one relationship where you'd like to be less in the trance of judgment, less habitually judging. You'd like to be more awake. One relationship. and let yourself go to where in that relationship the judgment might come out the most. In other words, what's the other person doing, saying, how are they acting, what's going on?
so that you can feel the welling up in you of judgment, the feeling of it, in some way the not liking, the anger, the story that you are telling of what's wrong with that person. And however, whatever the language is for you, in some way forgive that that's all going on. Just know that that's part of your human conditioning. The anger, the blame. If you'd like to do it as I do, you might mentally whisper, forgiven, forgiven. Just not to make it wrong. to forgive it and to sense underneath the, the anger or the story of what's wrong really what, what's going on inside you, is it fear, is it hurt? So you're just offering a kind presence to your own vulnerability, what gives rise to the judgment. And you might sense also as you look at the other person behind their behaviors, what might it be inside them, what might that person need or want. that person needing acceptance, approval, love, safety. You can almost test it out by imagining that person feeling loved or safe and how that would change things. You can almost imagine if that person wasn't caught in fear, just the human heart that's there, how it could express itself, who that person would be if they were more free, happy, at ease. So you can begin to see the goodness that really is innate and there but clouded over sometimes. Taking a moment now just to sense whatever wish you might have for this person, if you could offer a prayer for this person's well-being, what might it be?
And then just bringing your attention to your own heart right now. In the close of this meditation, this is a two-part meditation because the next part I'm going to ask you to share something with one or two others, is to sense what your heart's aspiration is for this coming year. What is it that you wish for your heart? What do you wish for your life in this coming year? For some it may be a kind of freedom of the heart or it may be some awakening in relationship with others. It might be a certain kind of courage, fearlessness. It might be more peace in your heart. Just sense what is your aspiration, your wish, in a deep way for your own heart, for your own spirit. You may have a number of things you wish, but just to sense whatever naturally comes forward right now. There's not one right thing for any of us. Now this next part is, we're still in the meditation, just consider it that way. And this is something for some of you, you might not have explored before, it's a very, very sweet way to do a meditation. It's just to ask you on silence to just kind of turn your chairs around so you're sitting with, uh, with two other people. I'll tell you what's next after that, but I'm going to just ask you to just briefly say your aspiration to each other um, for what's coming up this next year. And just to bear witness, just to listen. Okay, so here's how it goes. That um, first one person will just, just share a little of what that last meditation was like for you, what your wish is for your heart for this coming year. And the others will just listen. And it's an amazing gift of just in silence, you really just listen. And then I'm going to give you about a minute or two and I'm going to ring the bell and then everybody gets quiet and just lets that sit there, that first person sharing. And then I'm going to invite the second person to share. So just one person starts. So you might kind of look at each other and decide who's going to go first. And first person to share your aspirations, share what you wish for for your heart. Okay? Coming into silence and close your eyes for a moment. And just in some sense in this silence, just blessing whatever was shared, just honoring it. If you were the person that just shared, just having that sense of the dignity of bowing to your own wish. Okay, now the next person begins, please.
Again, just giving yourself permission to close your eyes and go inside and in some way just bowing to whatever has been shared. If you just shared to your own sincerity. So we'll have the third person uh, begin to share. And if you were in a pair, then this is a nice time just to meditate quietly yourself, okay? Third person, please begin. Again, just let the attention go inward for a moment. Just taking this time just to honor what was expressed. And to feel your wish for your partners that your aspirations, that which was shared, may be manifest. Okay, so if you'd like to open your eyes and if, at this point you'd like to introduce who you are to your partners now that you've shared your life aspiration, <laughs> please feel free and say thank you. Okay, let's um, come into quietness again. Okay, so... There's a very beautiful chant that brings all the qualities of heart together. We'd like to introduce it to you, and then, then uh, if you don't know La Sarmiento, a la Sweet Cookie La, you know, I don't know, you know La's going to be helping to, we're going to do this as a round together, uh, this chant. But the mantra is Metta Karuna Mudita Upeka, and you'll find that you catch on to these words. But uh, Metta is loving kindness. Karuna is compassion, mudita is joy, and upeka is equanimity. And these are the qualities that together create the full and awake heart. So it's metta, karuna, mudita, upeka. So we're going to chant it together for a few rounds, and then this side of the room is going to listen for when I, I break the rhythm and come in late, and then you're going to join me. So please join me, kind of like sort of this side of the room, you get the idea. And um, the other side will stay with La, okay? <laughs> this is like... It's not competitive. This is very not-self-other La. <laughs> okay. So again, metta karuna mudita upeka. So just, uh, you might just close your eyes and just listen and join in as soon as you feel inclined. Metta karuna mudita upeka Metta karuna mudita upega. 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 Metta karuna mudita upeka 
Meta karuna mudita upeka. 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 Rumi writes, if ten lamps are present in one place, each differs in form from another, yet you can't distinguish whose radiance is whose when you focus on the light. In this field of spirit there is no division. Sweet is the oneness of the friend with friends. Catch hold of the spirit. Help this headstrong self dissolve that beneath it you may discover unity like a buried treasure. Namaste. So, Law is going to stay up here and we're going to have a chant which I think you'll really enjoy. Kristen's joining us. Thank you for coming up, dear. Take it away, you guys. <laughs> So do you ever wonder what kind of Dharma teacher Johnny Cash would have been like? <laughs> wonder no more. <laughs> Namaste, I'm Johnny Cash. <laughs> uh... I hear those thoughts are coming, coming round the bend. I ain't felt such suffering since I don't know when And I'm stuck in my mind's prison And I just can't get free <laughs> But those thoughts keep coming And that's what tortures me So here we are in Sangha for some refuge and relief from our crazy busy lives and the boss that gives us grief as I watch my mind a wander thoughts going to and fro amazing what can happen when I can finally let go take away Kristen
The practice makes you stronger, at least that's what they say. Build you up some courage to learn how to stay. And I trust that with more practice of love and compassion. That an open heart regardless can actually be fun. So may you all be happy. May you all know peace. Be free from suffering, the ultimate release. And may the merit of your practice wake up all beings now. As all things are impermanent, I end with a heartfelt bow. That's Lon Christian. Let's give him another hand. Okay, let me invite those, uh, the volunteers, the Wednesday night volunteers, to come on up. And they're going to lead us in a, uh, a ceremony here. First of all, um, I'm not going to introduce by name, but these classes would not happen if it weren't for these folks. So I just want to um, honor each of you and thank you so much for being here. And again, just to ask you all to give them a hand also. Okay, so this is um, our tradition here is, is part of the uh, solstice, or really the season. So the way we'll be doing our, our candlelight ceremony is our volunteers will, will take the light that really this is expressing, it's the light in front of the Buddha, but really it's the, that timeless light of awareness of heart that um, we'll be taking on these candles and then passing and we're going to let the lights go low and let's begin the uh, metta karuna chant again as the light as the candles get lit metta karuna mudita upeka metta karuna mudita upeka Meta 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 karuna And then coming into silence coming into silence and we'll take the last few moments for a metta meditation just to feel the sense of the field the light, the warmth, the heart in the room. And sense as we approach the solstice and approach the holidays and rituals that mark this season, then right in this moment you can take the love and the light that's here 
and sense it really radiating out. Sense it radiating out and sense this heart as edgeless and vast, including this world. Taking this moment to sense whatever prayer you have for your own heart once again to honor your aspiration. What is it you long for? To sense your blessing and your care for those that you spoke with this evening, reflecting on their sincerity, their hearts. Sensing the one that you wanted to be free of judgment towards are more free. Sensing how that being lives in your heart. And then widening out to sense this world that we are part of, that we belong to and that belongs in our hearts. That all beings everywhere may awaken to loving presence, may realize loving presence as their essence that there may be peace on earth may there be peace on earth may there be peace on earth and everywhere may all beings awaken and be free Namaste So as a way to uh, perhaps uh, as a community close we'll, we'll have some music in the background it's, it's the mantra is Om Namah Shivaya which is really a bowing to the sacred and all beings and feel free to move around the room and just take some time to greet some others perhaps a few that you may have never greeted and you'll also find that there are uh, little beings that are distributing candy kisses at, as you move around the room too so enjoy but this is the formal ending uh, of our group so feel free to circulate and have a wonderful evening Namaste you have received has been freely offered. If you would like to contact the Insight Meditation Community of Washington to make a donation or to learn more about our programs, please visit our website at www.imcw.org.